Welcome to the Gathering at Adele's Sermon of the Week. This message is by Pastor Jeff Hopkins. As you listen, we pray that you will be encouraged, empowered, and enriched. Thank you. God bless. Before we move on, why don't you just close your eyes with me? Take a moment to just stand in awe of him. Maybe for you, you just begin to just picture him, Jesus on that throne, at the right hand of his Father, surrounded by the angels and the saints. And the the, the word says uh, the living creatures that are going around and they they're just crying out to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Maybe you just want to take a moment to stand in awe of that. Or maybe you just need to stand in a moment of awe of the way he just came through this week. Where it was just like, man, no one else could have done that. All the things that had to happen, they all happened according to to how I, I needed it to happen. Let's not just rush off, but let's just stand in awe of him. Maybe it's a freedom that you've been fighting for. It's testimony from a guy this morning of just some a freedom that he's been fighting for, believing in, and he got to see it this week. And as you stand in awe of him, Let's just begin to thank him. Jesus, we just thank you for the way that you just care for us, the way that you love us, forgive us, have brought us near to God. We stand in awe of that. We don't let that, we we don't want to just become accustomed to it. couple seconds. Don't don't give up yet. Father, as we open up your word today, we just stand in awe of your word. Every word is true. Holy Spirit, may you just teach us today from your word. And may we stand in awe of you today by what you have to teach us. May we live our lives, may we posture ourselves in such a way that we are continuing to stand in awe of you. Amen. Amen. All right, now I think it's it's time for the elementary kiddos to go back there. Uh, you can line up back here by Miss Bree. She will be your teacher today. She's actually even our children's pastor, if you don't know who that is. Uh, they just got back from kids camp, and Miss Bree uh, does a phenomenal job with her, with them. And I think Trenton, her husband, he's going. He's, he's the real deal back there. You know, he holds it all together.
Our, uh, do you have something, sir? Yes, sir. Oh, let's hear it. No, maybe. Okay. Oh, man. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Can I open it later? Is that okay with you, or do you want me to open it now? What do you think, babe? Open it now. Let's do it. Okay. Oh, man. So uh, I, I, I spent a week left at Sunday after, after church and spent a week with the Lord uh, on this uh, called a quest. It's with a ministry called Fellowship of the Sword, and it's pretty much you get alone with the Lord for five and a half days. And so I got back uh, Friday, and uh, man, Tony, <laughs> I mean, I didn't think I could love you anymore. I love you guys, but so, man, what the Lord was able to do in me, there's, you know, I, I never stand up here and act like I have it all together. I'm, I'm always pretty open with you guys, and I'm just a, I'm just a man that's just trying to find the Lord himself, and so, uh, man, this says strength, courage, and honor, and uh, that, that's really awesome, Tony. I'm, I'm glad I opened it now, because, man, that is, that's exciting. Man, I, uh, that time with the Lord is phenomenal where I was with 17 other other guys doing the same thing and it was it was a blessing for sure so thank you guys for allowing me to do that and my my family for allowing me to be gone and uh, my wife is by far the most amazing person in the world I mean other than me obviously but uh you know <laughs> man you know our kiddos did get back from kids camp too they they were gone Wednesday through Saturday and I asked Miss Bree, was, is there anything you would like me to share? And because if you know her, she does not want to get up here and share anything. She does much better just back there. And uh, she, she just said it was such a pleasure to see the kids come together and worship together. Uh, the, the camp that they went to is a place that really challenges kids to go deeper in worship, to walk into all their God-given talents and gifts and uh, to really encounter the Holy Spirit and walk in his presence. And so uh, she said, man, it was so good to see the kids worship, encounter him, and then just like desire more of him. So if your kiddos went, I hope they had a great time. We had some adults go. Uh, Morgan is back there. Morgan Walden went. Uh, Mike Ray is still recovering, obviously, because he's not here. Curtis is a super trooper here. He, he made it, did a great job. And uh, so I do want to thank you guys that, that went and uh, were able to love on our kids as our own kids. And so that's real unselfish of y'all. And you gave up your time and your week. So thank you guys for that. All right. Man, we have been, we've been working our way through. We have, you know, as a church and business, whatever you want to have, you know, you kind of have like a mission, a vision. And so our mission as the gathering at Adel, we don't try to be anything else except who we feel like the Lord has called us. But our mission is that it goes, we exist to display and declare the glory of God. Everything that we do, we want to display and declare the glory of God. And our vision is how do we accomplish that? And so we're on the last week of that, which some of y'all are probably happy about. But we're, we're continuing to define who we are so that you guys know what we're about. 
We don't want to become known for what we're against or what we don't like. We want to become people known for who we are and what we stand for. And we feel like we have a unique calling in this area, in this season. And the, the vision is seeking his face, hosting his presence, stewarding his kingdom. And today we're talking about experiencing his revival. Seeking his face. We, we want to be a people that pursue him above all else. Above programs above the American dream, above all the things that we can acquire. We want to be a people that are pursuing him above all else, seeking his face. Then we want to be a people that are hosting his presence. Hosting his presence is, it sounds fancy, it's really not. It just means that we want to create an environment in ourselves, in our families, and in this church that he is welcome. That I want to create an environment in myself where God is welcome. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you obey my commands, he says, then me and the Father, we will make our home with you. And so we want to be a place that welcomes him, that puts him at the center of all that we do. And then last week, we talked about stewarding his kingdom. And what that looks like is that when the Father has given Jesus the kingdom, he ushered in the, the new covenant and the kingdom, and then he gave it over to us. And we are to walk in power and authority over those things. And so the kingdom of God, when it's boiled down to, is just really simple. It says that it's not a matter of food or drink, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so we steward that by wherever we go, wherever Jeff Hopkins goes, I'm going to carry righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to, I'm going to do that by obeying his commands. Today, experiencing his revival. And man, just even that last word, revival, it's like, does that not just pop some pictures off in your head where you're like, oh yeah, I know what revival is. You know, you might be thinking it's like the big tent meeting where all the town comes together. That could be it. We meet at the tabernacle, you know. It, it could be prolonged meetings, extended meetings. It could be additional meetings and gatherings together. It could be guest speakers. I, I know in Strawn, they would have, you know, hey, it's time for revival. And, you know, what, what that meant was we're all going to meet at the community center and, you know, all the churches, well, not really all the churches. They say all the churches, but there's still the two churches that don't come and be a part of that because it just doesn't fit in with their denomination, uh, even though it's supposed to be everybody. But, uh, you know, and you have a guest speaker come in and it's at night and all that. And so, what we want to try to do is get rid of that picture because that, that, that's what the world says revival is. Or, or even earlier this year, you, you saw some amazing things happening all across the country. And one of them, it started at the Asbury College and it was called the Asbury Revival. You know, y'all are probably familiar with that. It was happening all over the place. And that, those are great. And those... Revival might encompass some of those things that I've talked about, and you might even have some more. But really, at the, at the root of revival, here's a definition if you're, if you're taking notes or maybe you just commit it to memory. But at, at the core of revival, we say that revival is renewing our minds to who God is and who we are. Try this out of the room. That one didn't get it. Revival is renewing our minds to who God is and who we are. So, which then can extend into all of those things where maybe church attendance goes up, tithe checks go up, there's more service, there's more services, more things happen. Yes, that, that might all be a product of revival. But at the base of everything, revival is me renewing my mind to who God is and who I am. That has to be crucial in order for us to experience his revival. 
we have to be careful that we don't confuse religious activities with revival. You, we can meet up here every day and it won't be revival. We can do all of the things, but let's not confuse religious activities for revival because revival does not, is not what's happening on the outside. It's what's happening inside of me, inside of you. And then it spills out into my family. It spills out into my church, into my neighborhood, into my workers, my coworkers, my employees, all of those things. Revival is renewing my mind to who I am and who God is. And it, it, it might look all sorts of things, but at the core of it, it's me being renewed to who God says I am and who he says he is. Religious activities do not equate revival. Here's, here's a passage out of Matthew chapter 23. If you're familiar with the Bible, it's, it's where the religious hypocrites are denounced by Jesus. And there's seven woes that he gives to the religious leaders. And we're not going to go through those today. But what I want to start with is verses 1 through 5 in Matthew 23. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by people. Religious activities are not revival. Revival is renewing our hearts and our minds to who God is and who we are. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. We're going we're gonna to start there. That I didn't just like come up with that definition by, by just, oh, this, this will be good. I really feel like the Lord has a, a definition in mind. And, and, and we're going to start to work our way through that. Revival is, one, renewing our minds. Two, to who God is, and three, who we are. So the first one, Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Renewing our minds is the start of revival. Paul is challenging us to break free from the patterns of this world. The world's ways are contrary to the values, priorities, and plans of God. Do not be conformed to the image of God or, or to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the picture that it has right there on do not be conformed. It's as if you were to take a mold and you begin to pack it in. Maybe it's the beach and you're at your building a sandcastle and you start packing the sand into that toy. You're conforming it. You're making it. You're taking something that wasn't here and you're combining it and forcing it to go into something that it wasn't. And then you turn it over and there it is. Paul is saying, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world. This world will take you and try to pack you into something that you weren't meant to be. The, the world's ways are contrary to the plans, purposes, and priorities of God. 
What the world says to do is not what we're supposed to do. The, the wisdom of this world is nothing. I mean, I mean, the world has a plan laid out from birth. Here's, how, here's, here's what you do. Here's how you do it. You know, you go all the way. You go to school where we tell you to go to school. And we do that. And then you graduate. And then you have to go to college because that's what you have to do if you want to have a good paying job. And, of course, you want to have a good paying job because you want to buy all the things that you see everybody else have. And so you've got to go and do that. And you've got to go to college so that you can provide for your family. You're going to have the wife and you're going to have the 2.3 kids that Americans on average have. And we're going to have the house and the white picket fence. And we're going to have two cars because you can't just do one in America. You got to have two cars, right? Or, or like us, we have more than two. No judgment. My wife, I can see, her, see that glare coming off. We have three, right? So we, we're not any different than y'all. We're working on this ourselves. But like, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. You don't have to have the house and the picket fence and the perfect family. It, the patterns of this world are contrary to the plans and purposes of God. There, there are so many dreams that have been killed in Christians because they did not line up with the patterns of the world. The early church, it says that they sold all of their possessions so that everyone who had a need had no more need. Man one of those sermons today, right? Man, what, what if we just said, man, everything that I have is no longer mine, but everything that I have is available to whoever is in need. But the world says, no, 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 don't do that. That's, that's not wise. You need to work till you're 65 so that you can have the 401k and the retirement. You can do exactly like the world says to do. The patterns of this world are contrary to the plans, purposes, and priorities of God. We have to renew our minds so that we're not conformed to the pattern of this world. Renewing our minds leads to transformed lives. Revival is about transformed lives. It's not about religious activities. The only way to get a transformed life is by renewing our mind to the, to the truth of the word. Our walk with God must move from transactional to transformational. Transactional is just surface level. It's, a, it's just a brief exchange. You know, you get behind somebody at Walmart and they want to make that transaction transformational and they just start talking to the cashier and you're like, bro, this is, this is transactional right here, man. Just get your stuff and go. Get her number. Call her later. That's not what this is about. This is quick, right? How many people can we get in and out of here, right? But that's what we've made our walk with God about. It's just transactional. Let me come here. As you've noticed, we got five minutes till 11. We're not the one-hour church, right? So, but we've, we've boiled church down down to, hey, let's just have the best one hour of our week, and let's just get in here, do our thing, we tithe, we, we worship, we have something for our kids, we have a cup of coffee, and then we shuttle out so that we can go have lunch and rest up for the week. We've made our relationship with God so transactional that our, that our time in the Word is just this quick five-minute devotional because, man, that's all I've got, that, all I can do. And so it's just so transactional. It's checkmark. Let me just pray, and I have my, my list of prayers, and I just say my list of prayers. We've taken it from, from what is meant to be a transformational lifestyle into transactional. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, hey, come follow me, and they dropped their nets and they followed him. They, they didn't go, ah, oh, let's weigh out the pros and cons of this. 
Let's make a list. John, James, you want to do this? Let's sit down. They dropped it because when they, all they heard was, come, follow me, and it transformed their lives in an instant. They gave up everything. They, they decided, what I am doing, the pattern of this world, is no longer beneficial to me because they encountered the living God. They encountered God with flesh on them, the risen King, Jesus Christ, and they left it all. Because he has the ability to transform our lives. He takes it from surface level and he goes down into the deep. We fight back on the transformational because it uncovers things that we don't want anyone else to know. Or that we've hidden from ourselves for so long that we don't want to bring it back up. The hurt, the pain, the denial, the lies. We just want to keep it buried because we can function with it. But, but God, God isn't a God that's just surface level. He goes deep. To have a transformed life means, man, I, I give you everything. My past, my present, and my future. Renewing our minds is a work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like there, there are things that we can do to help cultivate that. But ultimately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Like when I talk about we have to renew our minds. I'm talking like we have to dig into the word. The word has the power to save. Jesus said the, the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Paul said this, but to those who believe it's the power of salvation, of life. It can, it can have all the truth in the wor world, but if you don't agree with it, it's powerless. It doesn't matter what it says if you don't agree with it. If you don't read it, if you don't put it in your, in your, in your life, in your word, in, in your heart. Because you can have all of it right here. But if you don't know it and read it and study it, it's just a book. But it, if you begin to renew, renew your mind by, by washing yourself with the word, then you begin to allow the word to empower you to live the life that God has called you. You cannot be empowered to live the life that you're called to without knowing the word, without being in the word. Not a five-minute devotional, not a 10-minute devotional, but reading the word, studying it. In the Old Testament, you know, it's quoting like, hey, write it on your doorposts. Teach it to your kids. Say it whenever you, whenever you enter and whenever you go. They, they, they didn't just make it about a five-minute devotional, and it's like, man, all right, we're good. It, it was at the very core of who they were. We have to cultivate a life of prayer. We have to renew our minds because we, we read the Word. The Holy Spirit illuminates it, and He teaches us. He renews our mind. But then we, we, when we get alone with the Father... And we begin to open up the things that are deep within our hearts. It says, from the, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we begin to pray, the Father begins to renew our minds. When, when, we, when we confess sin through our prayer life, then the Father is able to wash us clean, to purify us. When we, when we talk about our deepest struggles, our fears, our worries, our doubts, have you ever just done that, got alone with the Father, and you're like, man, I, I really don't know how I'm going to get through this. And then the Father is able to just speak over you. Prayer is not to just be a religious activity, but we renew our minds through our prayer life. Because we have the written word of God, 
But then when we pray and he speaks and he talks to us, we have the spoken word. They're both equally valuable. The words that he speaks over you will give you life. The words that you read out of this book will give you life. You cannot renew your mind if you're prayerless. You just can't. Because instead of praying, you'll spend all of your time thinking about it. Have you ever realized, like, after you've thought about it for 30 minutes, you thought you've prayed about it, but then you realize, man, I've just thought about that. I haven't actually taken that to the Father. When we pray, he renews our minds. We have to begin to guard ourselves against the worldly influences. To renew our minds is a continual denial of self. Continued denial of building Jeff's kingdom. Of building up something for me. We have to be careful. We have to continue to renew our minds. The American dream is phenomenal. But God has a better plan for you. And it might not, it might not mean more stuff. It might mean suffering. Blessed are you when you endure many trials. Consider it pure joy. We have to guard against the American dream. We have to guard against materialism. We have to guard against the patterns of this world because they will so easily creep into us, into our lives, and we begin to prioritize things and change things, and we don't even realize it. And we'll look up later down the road and be like, Lord, where are you? And we realize that he's still there, and we're the ones that have gone, gone astray. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Revival is about renewing our minds to who God is and who we are. The second one is who God is. Here's a quote from A.W. Tozer. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about first let me say it. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because that will shape the entire course of our life. If you have a wrong view of God, that will shape the entire course of your life. If you have a right view of God, that will shape the entire course of your life. Religion has painted this picture of an angry old, gray-haired white man that's just watching us, waiting to just... Is he going to go back for that third, third piece of cake? Just wait. I'll get him later. Is he going to say that word? Is he going to do it? Like, we, we have this picture of God, an old, angry white man that's just ready to just smite us as soon as we mess up. Yeah. And we come into agreement with it whenever something bad happens. We get into a wreck and we go, I deserve that. Our wife yells at us and we go, I deserve that. Which maybe you did, but maybe you didn't. But like, our, something bad happens to us. Our kid gets sick and we, we put the blame on us and be like, I shouldn't have looked at those images this week. That's what I get. That's what I deserve. Because we've got this image that God is this angry old man just waiting to smite us. Strike us down. But what comes into our mind 
when we think about God as the most important thing to us because it will shape our entire course of our life. I get it. I know why religion did it. We're frustrating. You know, God, God, Moses comes down, he's got the Ten Commandments, and it's like, what in the world are y'all doing? I was 40 days, man. Couldn't leave you alone for 40 days. Religion sets up all these things of, of fear-based. You know, it's, don't do this, don't do that, don't be bad, don't say that, don't eat that, don't look at that. And they've created an image of God, of an angry old man, because they don't trust people, and they shouldn't. But it says, while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, that Christ died for us. So while we were sinners, religion put a fence around us, but Jesus died on a cross for us. Fear is a poor motivator for life transformation. In the short term, man, fear is great. You ever notice that? Man, fear is a great motivator in the short term. But in the long term, it has to be out of love. In 2004, there was a documentary called Super Size Me over the McDonald's, you know. And I mean, man, that drove fear and hatred to McDonald's and a lot of people. I watched it and I was like, dude, I, I just want a Big Mac. You know, like... I'm kind of hungry right now. Like, you know, it was supposed to drive fear into me. And I was like, man, I could really go for some of those fries, you know. But like, it drove fear into people. And actually, the, 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 the quarter of sales in 2004, that third quarter after it came out, McDonald po posted the lowest profit that they've ever had in 30 years. A year later, they were the number one fast food chain. 19 years later, McDonald's is still the number one food chain. Why? So good. You know, not really. I know. I can't say that, but it's good. And fear is a poor mo motivator for a life transformation because we saw that. Y'all were probably disgusted by it. It drove me to them, but y'all were disgusted by it. But yet it's like, man, I don't want to go home and cook chicken nuggets either. I, we're on the way to 19 baseball practices. I just got to chuck something back at them, right? Get them to be quiet on the way to the next practice. Religion uses fear. And fear will never bring about life transformation. It might correct things in the short term. But in order to live a life that is transformed, it has to be born out of a genuine love and desire and passion for God. Our image of God is the most important thing that we can have. There was a, you know, after Jesus, you have the apostles, and then, you know, without Jesus, things just kind of go astray, and people, people become people. Well, you had the, uh, the church fathers, which were the apostles and people that were discipled by the apostles. The, the church fathers came together, and they came up with this saying, and it's act, actually our doctrinal statement. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Anybody ever hear of that? Show a hand, nod, yeah. Right, the Apostles' Creed was the church father's way of uniting everybody. And, and honestly, the church was united from that time, from the time of Jesus all the way up till 1066 AD. And what held them together was the Apostles' Creed. Because they said, hey, in this thing, these are the essentials. And we must have unity in the essentials. But in the non-essentials, we'll have liberty. 
the, the essentials are this, and it started off, and this is where I'm going with it. It started off, it said, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Then it goes in, it says, I believe in Jesus Christ. But their, their basic idea of God, that they said everybody has to believe in order to be a Christian, was I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Anything else, we'll have liberty in that. You're, you're free to believe some, some of those things. But what brings us together as Christians, this is actually called the, the uh, baptisms, the believer's baptisms. You would, requote, you would quote this as you were getting ready to be baptized. Thank goodness we don't have to do that now because it's, it's a pretty lengthy thing. You know, now we just answer a few questions and, yep, we're good. All right? But then it was like the believer's baptism. I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. There's a reason they started that, the whole thing. God the Father. They, they wanted to start us off right with the image of, of God as a father. The prodigal son, the, the, the image of that is God is the father who sees his son from a distance from far off. And he runs and he meets him with a ring and a robe. God is a father. You have to begin to see him as a loving father who loves you, who wants you, Matthew 7, as Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about ask, seek, knock. That, that's the, the verses right there. And he says, even you as fathers know how to good, get, give good gifts, but how much more will the Father give you if you ask him? Jesus is showing that God is not this person far off who doesn't want to be with you, but that he is the Father who gives good gifts. 1 John 4, 16, God is love. I mean, what a better definition right there. Like, there's no, oh, let's read into this. It's not a parable. It's 1 John 4, 16, God is love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Not for God was so frustrated with people that he had to give up his son, but for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. God is a father that loves you. You have to allow that to shape the entire course of your life. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, hey, you know, he starts off John chapter 14, verse one, he says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm about to go to a place, but don't worry, I'm going to prepare a room for you. We'll be together again. He says, for I'm the way, the truth, and, and, and one of them was like, uh, we don't know where you're going. He says, hey, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It goes down a couple more verses in verse 8, and they're like, the Father. I think it was Philip. I think it was Philip, maybe the thing. Philip said, the Father, who... Who's the Father? Show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. If you want to see a picture of who God is, look at Jesus Christ. Yeah. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation yes. of his being. Yes. Woman caught in adultery. Jesus said, hey, let him who has no sin throw the first stone. 
could have easily, according to the old covenant, the old law, he could have, she could have been stoned. But Jesus is the exact representation to where what we deserve, he does not give us. And he took on what we deserve. To have a clear picture of God, all we have to do is look at Jesus. God Almighty. I believe in God the Father. Almighty. He is not like us. He does not exist like we do. Our existence is dependent upon him. But he is self-existence. That means he exists without the help or aid of anyone or anything. He was before time. He doesn't need any of us to exist. He doesn't need the trees that produce, is it oxygen or carbon, whatever. I'm not the science guy. I wish my son Noah here, he could help me, right? Whatever, whatever that process is, we need that and they need us. If we help. God does not need anything to exist. He is almighty. He has infinite power and ability to accomplish his purposes. This idea that, man, God, if you're able, can you just... I need to see you in this way. You don't even have to ask that. He's able. He stands alone. There's no rival. There's no equal. It's not a, a battle of between good and evil. The enemy is defeated. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He got thrown out of heaven. He was defeated. He is defeated. He will be defeated. God is infinite in power and resources. He has the ability to do whatever he wants to do. We have to change our minds. We have to renew our minds to the fact that God is almighty. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time. If he says he can do it, he can do it. He's almighty. He's all-powerful. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Everything that we see was created by him and for him. Nothing exists without him. When we get short-sighted and our perspective starts to narrow, it's like, oh man, I don't know. I don't know if God can do this. I don't know if God understands this. He created all of heaven and all of earth. Oh, but God, you just don't know me. He knew you in your inmost being. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. If you're struggling with that, like, oh, Lord, oh, the Lord just doesn't get me the way that I think, the way that I act, the way that I feel, the way I don't want to feel. He knows you more intimately than you know yourself. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Science teaches us that there was a big bang, and I agree with them. When he said, let there be light, Light broke through the darkness. And I had a couple of y'all worried. Y'all were about to get up. Pastor Mike, elder, grabbed his Bible. He's out. Uh, what is Jeff talking about? Man, there was a bang. Can you imagine the bang that happened when he sport, spoke and light broke forth through the darkness? He created everything. He is infinitely powerful, almighty. A clear picture of God gives us confidence to walk with him. And to trust him. Why is it important to know who God is? Because now I have the confidence to walk with him daily. Man, I, we, we talked last week about Abraham. How Abraham walked in obedience in Genesis chapter 22. You know, in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is given the promise. Abraham, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, I know, I know you don't have any kids. And I know you're getting older. But 
I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the sand is on the seashore. As all the sand on all the shores. So your descendants will be. Genesis chapter 21, a few years later, Abram, Abraham is like, man, I don't have a son, but I, I, I've got a slave that's in the house. Maybe he can be the heir. And in Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, it, it says that God spoke to him and said, hey, the promise of the inheritance is coming through a son, and his name's Isaac. The next chapter over, God says, hey, Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac, that I just promised with all the descendants as numerous as the sand on all the shores and all the world will come from. I want you to take that son. I want you to go up onto the mountain. I want you to offer him to me. And Abram responds and he says, hey, before you even ask, I say yes. Abram takes him and, and uh, Abraham takes him, his son Isaac, a couple of servants, a couple of donkeys, and they, they go up to a certain part of the mountain and then they stop. Put, put that Genesis up there. Look, look at this. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. God said, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to take him up there and he, you're going to offer him up as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham says, absolutely, I'll do it right now. Abraham goes up there, and the servants are kind of like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Like, what's going on? There's no sacrifice. Even Isaac goes, hey, Dad, uh, there's the wood, the altar, all that, but where's the sacrifice? And he says, hey, the Lord will provide. But Abraham knew who God was, so Abraham could say, y'all stay here. Me and the boy will be back. He knew that even though God said you're going to go sacrifice him, he did not waver from the promise that God said, that boy, all the descendants will come from him. And so Abraham said, hey, me and the boy will come back. The confidence to walk that out only came because Abraham knew who God was. A clear picture of God allows us to do that. Revival is renewing our minds to who God is and who we are. Last one, if you're getting a little restless here, who we are. Renewing our minds to who God is and who we are. Having our identity is crucial in seeing revival in our lives. There is constant pressure to conform to social standards and expectations. We, we struggle with trying to find our identity. As fathers, our role is to speak identity into our children. The role of God the Father is to speak identity into his children, but the problem is that there is constant pressure from all sorts of sources. Media will tell you your identity how to look, how to act, how to talk, what success looks like. If you're not this, if you're not driving that car, then you're not successful. You're not wearing that deodorant, then you're not man enough. Right? Whatever it is. But identity only comes from the Father. We have to fight back the social pressures and expectations. Otherwise, we'll try to get our value and our purpose and our identity in things other than the Father. 
Our identity is this, is that we were made in the image of God. So why do we struggle with the way that we look? See, we think that made in the image of God is about a physicalness. It has nothing to do with our physicalness. Once again, I'm not sure if that's where we got lots of made up words going on today. <laughs> to be made in the image of God means that I reflect his character, his value, his purposes. That, that when people see me, they see the Father's love. They don't look at me and go, man, God, God's seen better days, you know? Like, it has nothing to do with what I look like, but it's all about how I reflect his character, his nature, his love. We are made in the image of God. We are so concerned with what we look like. And we get our identity by what we look like. Because it's what we can see. But our identity is that we are made in the image of God. We try to get our identity in our jobs, in our careers, in our cars, in our kids. And we, we try to form our identity based on those things. But our identity is that we are made in the image of God. JB wasn't the most looking, best looking dude. John the Baptist for you guys. Call him JB. JB wasn't the best looking dude. He lived out. <laughs> Sorry, babe, you didn't like that one? Okay. <laughs> JB lived out in the desert. It says that it, his coat was <laughs> made out of camel's hair. He ate locusts and wild honey, Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, in case you think I'm making that up. He wasn't the best looking dude out there, but he knew who he was and he knew his role and his purpose because he said, all I'm here to do is to prepare the way. John the Baptist, not the best looking dude, ushered in the ministry of Jesus. He, he got to baptize Jesus. And even after doing that, he said, man, I'm not... I'm not I'm not worthy. Don't, don't, don't follow me. He said, because I baptize with water, but there's one that's coming after me who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He knew who he was. He didn't care what he looked like. He did not get his identity from anything else except that he knew who he was and what his purpose was on this earth. Our identity is that we are created in the image of God. Here's another one that shocks us, that we are the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 It says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That should shape every course of your life should just be like, okay, I'm the righteousness of God. That by him, following him, be, receiving the blood and the body of Jesus, washing away my sins, that now I am the righteousness of God. I don't feel like it. I cussed the other day. I looked at something inappropriate. I drank too much. Like I did all of those things, but yet I'm still the righteousness of God. You can walk in confidence when you know that you're righteous before him. When you don't have to try to get your identity by anything else other than the fact that I'm made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that try to put shame, guilt, and condemnation on you. 
that, that try to speak unworthiness over you. You were worthy enough for him to die for you. You're worthy. You are redeemed. You are the righteousness of God. We are sons of God. Our, ident our identity is found in the fact that we are sons of God. Galatians 4, 4, 7 says that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. We are, we are sons of God. Like, when people reject us, make fun of us, talk bad about us, say that our jokes weren't funny in church while we preach, that should not shake us. That should not shake us because we know that we're a son of God. I don't have to go off running, chasing other things because I know that I'm a son of God. I don't have to go and try to establish my kingdom on the earth because it says that I'm a co-heir with Christ. The word, that we're, the word says that we're seated with him in heavenly places. We're trying to build a kingdom when he already has the throne established for us. We've been adopted into the family of God. When we understand and embrace our true identity in Christ, we're able to walk boldly as followers of Jesus. Listen to this, John. This might shock you, but John wrote the fourth book of the New Testament, the Gospel of John. But John's name is never mentioned in the, in, in the, in the Gospel of John. It's mentioned five or six times to let you know who wrote it. But you know what John decided to write about himself and how he said his name and described himself? Anybody? You can shout it out. It's fine to say it in church. The disciple whom Jesus loved. The one whom Jesus loved. That might seem prideful and arrogant. But all it is was a man that knew his identity. He was loved just as much as Peter, just as much as Judas who washed, who had his feet washed by Jesus, who betrayed Jesus. John was loved just as much as any of them, and he's loved just as much as any of you. The same love that God, that Jesus had for John, he has for us. There's no de delineation. Yeah, that's what, no, there's no separation between that. He loves us all the same. John just realized it. He didn't struggle with that. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Even Peter kind of got mad about it. You remember at the uh, when uh, Jesus was resurrected and they, they, they went fishing and uh, Peter's like, well, what about that guy? What's he going to do? And Jesus like, John's like, oh, you mean the disciple whom Jesus loved? You know, like, like John got to write that in. Oh, yeah, well, that was me. It wasn't pride or arrogance. It was the fact that he knew who he was, so he didn't struggle with identity anywhere else. And sure, lots of other people did lots of amazing things. I mean, Peter, you know, hey, you said this, it was revealed to you not by man, but by spirit and man on you. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus told Peter. Lots of people went on and did amazing things. But John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was asked to take care of Mary by Jesus. 
because he knew who he was. When, when Peter depart, deserted him at the cross, who was there to receive the body? John. You see, there's something about when we know who, our, who we are and where we get our identity. It elevates us to a place, not, not a place of honor, but it elevates us to a place where we walk boldly and confidently like never before. Revival isn't about declaring our love for God. It is about receiving his love for us. That's a good one. I'm going to post that one later. God, revival is not about re- telling God our love for him. I'm going to say it better than that. But it's about receiving his love for us. Yes. Revival happens when we renew our mind to who God is and who we are. It gives so much more freedom. Re- revival is not striving. Revival is not manufacturing something to happen. Revival is when we walk with a re- renewed mind and we have a clear picture of who God is and we have, found our, we have our identity found in Him. I know I've said we're going to end with this and we're ending with this. <laughs> to renew our minds, are we going to be a people that commit to being in the Word? Are we going to be a people that cultivate a, a lifestyle of prayer? And are we going to reject the ways of the world? That's my question to you today. Are, are you going to do those things? Am I going to do those things? I pray that you get a clear picture of who God is. If religion has told you a jacked up view of God, man, I, I apologize. I pray that this week, and I, if you're like, man, I, I know you say that, Jeff, but man, I just don't know. Like, what about this, this, and this? Can you just renew your mind this week? Study the scripture, study the word, get a clear picture of who he is. The most important one is knowing who you are. Created in the image of the Father. His righteousness. A son, a co-heir with Christ, adopted into a family. Walk as that person. I'm going to pray to dismiss us. Father, we just thank you so much for your word, for your people today. Father, may, may we be a people that experience your revival Not the world's, but may we experience your revival and start with us in our own hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Just three announcements before you leave as you're kind of wrapping up. Uh, One, we have women's Bible study that starts tonight. Miss Anna, raise your hand, do a little whoop whoop. Miss Anna's leading a Bible study over there in the fellowship hall tonight at 5.30, is that correct? Oh, look at that. There you go. 5.30 Sunday nights uh, for that. Uh, Then this Friday night, this is going to be a good one. We've been talking about it. Guys, steak night. So this is for guys and sons and whatever, you know, Boys can come and, and enjoy a steak. My wife's looking at me like, I didn't know that. But uh, we, uh, we're going to just have a great time of fellowship with uh, guys and doing some steaks and having fun. Third one is volleyball night, uh, June the 23rd. It's in a couple of Fridays. It's going to be a blast. Bring a lunch or a dinner. We're just going to gather together, have fun, and smash uh, the Brock campus and some volleyball. So love you guys. We'll see you all later. <laughs> Hey, if you're new, y'all can keep going, but if you're new here and you want to meet me and my wife, the, the lady over here that I'm always uh, guarding against, just come talk to us. We'd love to meet you guys today.